Lord, we thank you that your word is living, even though it was written um, thousands of years ago, Lord, that it speaks to us fresh. And we thank you that these words have the power to awaken us, to heal us, um, to move us and inspire us and to transform us. And we pray that your words would be spoken powerfully this, this morning, that our lives will be transformed that we may go and live for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As I begin, I just want to ask a question. How many of you, raise your hand if you have heard of Samson? That's most of you. If you haven't, then um, this, this will be a very difficult sermon. <laughs> How many of you have heard of Othniel? A few of you there. I actually had a friend named Othniel, but it was so awkward as a name that he went by OJ. But would it surprise you to tell? Would it surprise you to know that actually, um, out of both out of Samson and, and Othniel, Othniel was the model judge. He's the person that you should know about. He's the person who did everything right, and Samson, as you know, does a lot of things wrong. So Othniel. Um, I just want you to know that as we go, uh, the first two uh, chapters, the sermons on the first two chapters are online. Uh, first two chapters of Judges is really an introduction, introduction of the rest of the book. It tells you what's going to happen. And in chapter three with Othniel, we get the first judge, uh, first out of 12 judges. So ta- uh, let's take a look at who Othniel was. As I was preparing for this, the f- biggest thing, the, the first thing that really struck me and it made an impact on me, uh, was the fact that Othniel is, is actually not a pure Israelite. Um, Othniel is introduced in verse 9 as Othniel, the son of Kenaz. He's the son of Kenaz. That probably doesn't, doesn't mean that his father was Kenaz. It's somewhere along the line um, that his grandfather or great-grandfather or something like that was Kenaz. He comes from the tribe of Kenaz. Um, in fact, Caleb, uh, Othniel's Probably uncle. We're not uh, 100% sure what the relationship is. Probably uncle, maybe even brother. But um, Caleb um, is identified as having come from Judah. In fact, remember, Caleb is the guy who represents the tribe of Judah as they go into spy on the land of Canaan. He represents Judah. But he's even there. He's mentioned as Caleb, son of Jephunneh. So this is Numbers 13.6. And Jephunneh is a number of times in the Bible mentions, mentioned as a Kenazite. Kenazite. This is Numbers 32.12 and Joshua 14.6 uh, and 14. Basically, that Jephunneh was a Kenazite. He's not a pure Israelite. He's not a Jew by birth. What this says is, is that neither Caleb nor Othniel are fully Jewish by blood. The father or grandfather of Caleb was a Gentile, and, and Othniel was a Gentile. Um, he was converted, he married into the tribe of Judah, and he became a full member of the tribe of Judah. In fact, he became, Caleb becomes a representative of Judah, and Othniel becomes the first judge over Israel. I don't know how you felt about uh, President Barack Obama being sworn in in 2008. For me, it was a very moving moment because as a Korean American, as a person who's sort of minority growing up in America, seeing this black man 
becoming the president of the United States was very moving because it symbolized um, that the country wasn't for a black person. I mean, it wasn't for, for just for white people. That this was actually for a black person too. And by extension, people of all color could be could come to America and make home, uh, make their homes in America. As I was watching this, I was I was moved. I was moved because I could say, I, I could think to myself, this is my country as well as it was country of everybody who comes um, into America. But it took America 230 some years to elect the first black president in Israel's history. You know, Israel is often known as a racist country, but in Israel's history, Gentile person is at the birth of a nation with Caleb. It's at the beginning, uh, the first uh, man God elects as the judge over Israel. Of a, Othniel is a, of a Gentile descent. What we see here at the heart of the Old Testament is that people who trust in Yahweh is always meant to be part of God's kingdom, kingdom of Israel. That nation of Israel was, was chosen for a purpose. Is, that is to draw all people to, um, to, Yah- to, to the worship of Yahweh God. And that God wasn't just paying a lip service to Abraham when God calls Abraham out, out and then says, you will be a blessing to all nations. All nations, all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And God makes good on that promise even from the very beginning of the birth of Israel. The nation of Israel was never supposed to be about racial purity. It was about their devotion to Yahweh God. And when Israel gets wrong, Jesus makes this right. right? And, and we get um, Christ, the perfect Jew from the tribe of, uh, uh, of Judah uh, and son of David, becomes the savior of all people uh, on earth, simply by trusting him. Listen to these words uh, of Paul in Ephesians. This is Ephesians chapter 2, 14 through 20. Um, I won't read all of it, but... For Christ himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. What this means for all of us is that being a Christian means of being a world Christian, being a global person. Being a Christian means that we're no longer, our first identity is no longer Hong Kongers or English or Korean and Kiwi or whatever it is that you're from. We become a citizen of the kingdom of God that stretches from all over the earth. We become a people not only concerned with the affairs of our city, but affairs of the things that's going on all over the earth because we are joined with the family that's all over the earth. Being a Christian wherever you are from means that you have to be a global-minded person, person who is concerned with the affairs of the world, person who is praying for the things of the world, person who also fights against racism. This is why we pray for affairs of the world every Sunday. 
while we support Christian solidarity worldwide, that, 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 that advocates for uh, persecuted Christians from all over the world. This is why we support Crossroads and Clarissa and the works there, because we know that our family around the world is in need. People around the world is in need. That we, our concern has to be greater than the concerns of our family or our tribe or our nation. That it has to concern. Uh, we have to concern ourselves with the things of the world. And if you think racism is a thing of the past, I don't think this is true. According to a survey released last March, this is 2012, um, by Hong Kong Unison as a nonprofit organization, um, found that less than 2,000 people interviewed, less than half of the 2,000 people interviewed, um, police officers and secondary teachers feel comfortable, less than half feel comfortable with being friends with or having family members of people who are darker skinned than they are. The executive director of Unison says few employers are willing to hire darker-skinned people. And you might think this is about other people. But just ask yourself, would I be willing to marry cross-culturally? Would I would be willing to let my children marry cross-culturally? If not, how much of that is racism? How much is that cultural bias? And I'm not saying that this is a simple matter. These things are always complicated by linguistic barriers, education level, socioeconomic status, cultural barriers there, and the threats that the other sort of poses in our society. But we have to constantly examine our motives and prejudices and presumptions and recognize that God does not divide us by nationalities. The church and Christian, Christians all over the world have to model We have to be the city on the hill that people can look to and say, there is a different society, there is a world that's coming that's different than the nations divided by our skin colors or ethnicities. That we are a family of all colors, of all nationalities, of all abilities, and that we are brothers and sisters. We have to model that here, and you have to model that in your life. Othniel. The first Gentile judge, judge over Israel. That's the model that we see in the Bible. But it's one thing to uh, feel great, as I did, um, as um, uh, when Obama gets sworn in, um, because he symbolizes full integration of minorities into the American society. But it's quite another thing to examine his record, the things that he does afterwards, isn't it? So let's take a record of, uh, let, let's see what Othniel um, does. Let, let's see, well, what kind of a judge was, was Othniel? In short, Othniel is portrayed as a model judge, model judge, the archetypal judge um, uh, by, by, uh, by whom all other judge, judges are really measured. And if you're asking, how do you know all that? We just read from chapter 3, verses 7 through 11. That's only six verses or so. Well, one way that we know this is because we read this passage in the context of, uh, context of, of the overall book of Judges. Atniel, as you see, is the first judge, first judge mentioned in the book of Judges. And uh, he sets the pattern uh, 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 by which all other judges are judged. Um, remember the pattern laid out in chapter 2. Once again, if you can open up your Bible and see chapter 2, verses 11 through 19. If you see there, you see the pattern that's been laid out. And I've mentioned this a couple of times before. But the pattern is that people sin. And God judges them and brings them over to the hands of other people. 
and they cry out to God, and God has mercy on them, and God raises up a judge to save them from the hands of a different uh, 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 of the Gentile nations. Um, and they're saved for a time, and they obey God in the lifetime of the judge. But when the judge dies, um, they disobey God again, and they grow worse and worse. And they will grow so bad throughout the book that the final, uh, final line of the book of Judges is, In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. So, Othniel is the first of all the judges first of this downward spiral that will go down and down and down. And he's the first. He is the best by extension. We see um, he, how he fits the pattern so perfectly. We see in verse 7, Israel doing evil things, uh, forgetting God, serving Baal and Asherah. God gets angry, hands them over to a foreign king. They cry out to God. And we're simply told that, um, uh, that God raised Othniel, son of Kenaz, in verse 10, the spirit of Yahweh came upon him so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. Um, Yahweh gave Kushan Rishitaim, king of Aram, um, into the hands of Othniel who overpowered him. Uh, and, and, and they enjoy peace during his lifetime, but he, he dies, um, he dies, but then they grow worse. He fits the per- pattern perfectly. Um, so he's the first judge um, who fits the pattern perfectly. Nothing goes wrong. Nothing goes outside of this pattern. So we know that he's sort of the model judge. But once again, we also know that he comes from a good family. Um, his brother, or probably his uncle, was Caleb. He, he comes from a, man, a family of faith, solid family of faith. But there is also a bit about Othniel in chapter 1 as well. Chapter 1, verses 11 through 15. There we're told the story of Othniel who goes and attacks and captures a Canaanite city. He does exactly what they were supposed to do. We know that he got, he's gotten a proven record of victory. And as a reward, he also receives a virtuous woman, Aksa, in marriage. Once again, in the context of the book, Aksa, his wife, is mentioned, presented to us as a virtuous woman. She asks her father, Caleb, for a field with springs, uh, with springs, and this is important because at uh, first she is a Jew, she is a Jewish woman who worships Yahweh, and as we see in um, uh, the the Israelites, um, sorry, uh, the Israelites were giving their wives, I mean, marrying, intermarrying Canaanites, and starting to worship other uh, other gods. But here, Kale, uh, uh, Othniel marries a Jewish woman. And not only that, Jewish, this Aksa lady asks her father for a field with springs. First of all, to a field and fields with springs. Um, and the land here in the context of the Old Testament symbolizes blessings. So what he's asking, what she's asking is she's asking for more blessing, God's blessing. For her, but also for her husband. And you might think that might just seem insignificant, but actually, if you read that in the context of the book of Judges, remember the last judge, Samson, and who he married, he goes and asks for a Philistine as a wife. And not only that, he has these affairs with the prostitute, Delilah. Not only does Delilah steal the blessings, right, 
she hands him over to the hands of the enemies. And they're being deliberately contrasted here. Aksa is this virtuous Jewish woman who asks for more blessings. And Samson, his wife, um, are, are, are the ones who have gone far away from that pattern. Another interesting thing about this is how this whole story of deliverance is crafted. In verse 8, we're told that uh, God sold them into Israelites, into the hands of Kushan Rishitaim, king of Aram Naharaim. That's not the a name that his mother gave him, probably. Um, that would be too hard. Um, Kushan Rishatim. Rishatim means doubly wicked one. Doubly wicked one. And Naharaim means two, riv- uh, two rivers. So he's the king of a land of two rivers. So this is talking about Mesopotamia, uh, t- River Tigris and uh, r- River Euphrates, which means that he was a very powerful king that has come from far away. So this Wicked king comes from, uh, comes from far away, but look how Othniel delivers this nation. There's no fuss. We're simply told, simply, um, that the, the spirit of Yahweh came upon Othniel, that he went to war. And this phrase of handing over happens in this passage. The Lord gave, hands over, Kushan Rishatim, king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel. And this is how the complete opposite of what happened in verse 8, right? How Israelites were handed over. This is a complete reversal of what happened before. He completely solved the problem. And finally, in this Hebrew text, um, in, in this text, in Hebrew, apparently in verse 9, I, I'm, uh, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so, uh, but I take uh, their words. A couple of commentators say, actually, this um, word, who saved them, in, at the end of verse 9, is actually quite, quite ambiguous. It could be uh, saved as, he saved them. It begs the question, then. Um, it begs the question, who saved them? Is it Yahweh, God, or is it uh, Othnia? The point is, it's both. It's both. God saved them through Othniel. Othniel who walked perfectly in the will of God. And this happens, there are eight sentences, eight phrases before, and then there are eight phrases after. This comes right in the middle. Right in the middle, we're told that Othniel perfectly walked in the will of God and saved uh, the nation of Israel. God saves through Othniel. And I hope you're not convinced that he is this model, archetypal judge. However, however, he too has his limitations, doesn't he? Just take a look at what happens in verses 11 and 12. In 11, um, uh, he and, uh, the, the land enjoys peace. But in verse 12, the mere one verse after, this is what we see, what we read. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of Yahweh. Israelites turned to other gods right away after the death of Othniel. Othniel and other judges in the book of Judge and in the rest of the Bible as well, the kings, show that right spiritual leadership is important. It's paramount. They're able to restrain us from our sins. They're They're able to inspire us even for a moment. But judges warn permanent solutions. The Israelites, in due time, will look forward to more permanent solution. In fact, they cry out for kings. 
Because, you know, after a judge dies, there's a time, a period of no judge, having no judge, no leader whatsoever. And so they think after, if you have a king, there will be a succession line in place. A king dies and then another king replaces the king. So that's the thing that they want. But of course, we know that the problem isn't in the leadership because just look at the history of Israel. They have king. The first king, Saul. That doesn't work out so uh, so well. And the rest of king of Israel and king of Judah, they, they don't wor- it doesn't work out so, so well for them. The handful of them are good, but most are lacking. Wrong political system is not the reason why Israelites fall away again and again and again. The reason why they do evil things and reason why God judges them. The problem was that they do not trust God as their judge. God as their final leader. You see, it wasn't Othniel that delivered the Israelites, as we're told in verse 10. Once again, it's only when the Spirit of the Lord comes upon Othniel, he makes him a judge. He went to war, and Yahweh God is their judge. It is he who, uh, who they were supposed to worship and follow. God led them through Othniel. And it's true of uh, this church as it would be true of any leaders in this uh, world. If you're expecting me to be a perfect leader for this church, I'm afraid that you'll be disappointed again and again and again. <laughs> I hope um, that you'll be disappointed as you get to know me better. It's, if you have an ideal view of who I am, that's because you don't know me very well. And um, I'm just thankful that Alice and other people haven't left the church um, yet. Because, you know, some of it will be my character flaw, some of it is just my inexperience, some of it just might be my immaturity, but all in all, I'm not even like Athniel. I mean, when I look at the book of Judges, I often identify myself with, with Samson. I feel like Samson. <laughs> but even with the best leaders, Billy Graham, Martin Lloyd-Jones, John Stott, and others, they will pass away. Even the best of them will pass away. This church, even if you have a good leader for a while, they will go. They will go. And we can't make the same mistake that the Israelites made. We're not to trust in people. We are to trust in God and God alone. We are to be reminded of God's leadership and the leadership of our leaders. We are to be reminded of, of God even in our leaders' mistakes and short, uh, short, uh, shortcomings and flaws because we know that these people are not the ultimate leaders, that we are not to depend on them, but we are to depend on God. And in due time, God sends the perfect leader in history, Jesus, Christ has the perfect credentials, doesn't he? We're told that the Othniel became the judge when the Spirit of the Lord, Spirit of Yahweh, came upon him. But during Jesus' earthly ministry, the Spirit comes and rests on Jesus. He remains on Jesus. It never leaves him. And later on, he sends us the Holy Spirit. I'm told that good leaders are people who make other leaders. He sends the Holy Spirit for us. Othniel also walked with, perfectly walked with God in God's will in saving and delivering the Israelites. But he walked with God for a time and for a purpose. Christ, on the other hand, is God incarnate in whom is a perfect 
will of God and will of human being, perfect obedience of human will. He lives that life um, to uh, uh, completely obeying God's will. And not only does he do this to inspire us and to lead us, to tell us how to live as human beings, but he leads a sinless life, complete, a life of complete obedience so that he can die, die for us, so he can forgive our sins. He's careful not to sin so that he could be that unblemished lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Spiritual decline of Israel was inevitable, as it will be in your life. We're made in the image of God, but we have also fallen. By ourselves, we cannot be completely optimistic about our future, for our hearts are prone to wander, as the hymn goes. And Christ came to be ransom for our sins, to be crucified for us. But not only that, not only did he come to transform us, I mean, to pay for our sins, to forgive us, but he came to transform us by sending us his spirit into our hearts. He sends the spirit as a guarantee of the things to come, that we will receive new spiritual bodies in the new world to come. And he is the eternal judge eternal judge who stands next to the Father, interceding for us. There will be a new world to come because Christ rose again. He guarantees that there will be a new creation, new heaven and new earth. And what a world that will be. There won't be racism in that world. There won't be any scars of sin and death in that world. No, no hint of, of sinfulness in us and on the people around us. There won't be any chance of backsliding into sin. No struggle against sin. No condemnation. No judgment. No forgetting God and the salvation that we've received for will be, will be surrounded by the glory of Christ. And everything that, that's around us will remind us of how great Christ is. And our world will come because Jesus died for us, because he rose again, that we too may live in him. But let's bring that world, let's bring that world into our daily life, into our world, following our perf- the perfect model of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we... Thank you once again for your word that it has something to teach us. Lord, um, we thank you for the example of Athena, and we thank you for even for the flaws of the judges um, that will come um, later on. We thank you that uh, for the, the past leadership of this church, for Pastor Stephen and Pastor Dale, um, and, and for me, we thank you for our gifts, but also for our flaws, that all of it points us to you, to remind us that you are our judge, that you are our Lord, that there is no other perfect leader than you. And we thank you that for those who trust in your leadership, in what you have done, you promise a new world, world without sin, world without racism, with a world without these divisions, 
in this world. Help us to follow you in our daily life. And as we follow you, help us to bring the peace of that world to come into our daily life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.